0: It's Terry from No Crumbs Left, and I'm excited to welcome Katie Kershaw to the podcast. Hi, Katie. Hi, Terry. Thanks so much for having me. What's different about this podcast is that we've never met before. <laughs> That's I, very true. I, I, we're just learning who, who we are. Uh-huh. Um, you are a friend of my podcast producer, Jack Falker, and um, I always say to her, if there's someone you think that would be great, and we're mm-hmm. always just as a community thinking and people on the crew, who should we have? We want to have great people. And so she's like, oh, you've got to talk to my friend Katie. So- First of all, I know you're on this fabulous show. Yes. Tell me about
1: that. Yeah. So I am on a new HBO limited series called Mrs. Fletcher, which uh, was written by Tom Parada. He's the guy who wrote Little Children, Abstinence Teacher, Leftovers, Election, um, so many amazing novels and so many amazing novels that have turned into TV uh, and film. So this was his latest. He wrote it in 2017. Uh, It's a limited series, seven episodes, starring Catherine Hahn. I love her. The fact that you get to work with Catherine Hahn is
0: like, she's, you know, I I definitely have a girl crush on her.
1: Oh, same. I am in love with Catherine. She is phenomenal. She's everything you think she is. She's so kind. She's so sweet. She's so funny. She's so funny on set. She's so welcoming. And really, this is my first TV role. So she did so much to help me learn how to be on TV and how to be on set and how to interact with a crew. You know, she's the lead. So she sets the tone for all of it. She knew everyone's name. She greeted everyone every day. Just a fantastic person. I mean, that's
0: what I find with women. And we're talking a lot about women leaders and women mentors and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, just this idea of mentoring and helping and supporting and it's sort of a new business model of people really, you know, working together in a different way. We've been talking a lot about that. And I, you know, she sounds like one of those amazing people.
1: Oh, she absolutely is. And I had been told, you know, when certain men are the leads of shows, you know, the show can feel competitive. It can feel a little more cutthroat a little more militaristic and Fletcher never felt that way. It truly felt like we were there to work. We were there to work hard, but we were also a family and we bonded very quickly as a full cast, which was fantastic.
0: So would we call you an ingenue?
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs> I think a little bit right of one. I, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Which is wild. You know, uh, As your listeners may not know, I am a plus size woman. So going through theater school, uh, graduating college, and doing theater and improv and sketch, I never thought I would play anywhere near an ingenue, anywhere near a romantic lead. I thought I would be the fat funny best friend, the like cool aunt, and then eventually age into like the wacky mom. So the fact that I'm on this show and I am seen as like desired is really wild to me. It still like seems It doesn't seem real. Even though we wrapped the show months ago, I'm like, oh, I guess I I am. I guess I am like a bit of a sex symbol in the show, which is crazy. I love it. And I think the reality is people want people that are
0: relatable. You know, often when you think about who is going to be successful on social media. And I think we should say that you are actually have been a long-term follower. Oh, oh my God. Yes,
1: yes, yes. For a very long time. I don't even know how I found you, but I stumbled on it ages ago. Uh, I've talked to Jack about it and our friend Joe. Uh, and I just absolutely fell in love I made the onions first thing love it do you have the marinated onion bowl? I don't I desperately okay. want okay. it I need to buy one from you We're but yeah pretty sure're gonna get you one yeah. <laughs> uh, I love them so much I remember the moment that I went home to visit my mom and granny in Eastern Kentucky and now that they're a little bit older my favorite thing to do when I go home is cook for them and so I had like just discovered you and I was so excited like I had to go to the store and buy. Every ingredient for everything i made. Uh, and I cooked a big chicken for them. I had the onions out. And they still make them and keep them on their counter. I love that. I know. Do you, so have cute. you made the heroin chicken? Yes, that's what I made. Mm-hmm. OK. Love it. Yeah, it was so fun to make it with my mom. and Because uh, she was never much of a cook. She had her meatloaf that was great, a good fried steak. And that's kind of where it stopped. My grandmother is an amazing southern cook. Like, absolutely stunning. But all the classics. you know. It's chicken and dumplings. Um, fried chicken, biscuits and gravy, cornbread every single day. It's that kind of meal. So it's nice to go home and cook something that's similar but different than what she's always had one thing i want to say is uh, in the book you know i think it's 80% whole
0: 30 but mm-hmm. it's, it's it's not even that's like it's just like great food and it and i can create it whole 30 but it's not like if you taste it you're like oh well we're on a diet or something right um, and then the other 20%s family recipes but the, but the, what where i'm getting to is the meatloaf in the book by the way mm-hmm. which i think is an updated and uh, and healthier but there's still you know i do a little bit of a uh, um some of the ketchup <laughs> in the in the crust uh-huh. uh, cuz you just sometimes you got to do that i mean you mm-hmm. know absolutely but it's, it's a great recipe. What I was saying earlier was I think part of what, you know, you always think of like if someone's going to be successful in social media, I mean, mm-hmm. you're thinking 22, you know, a supermodel, you know, and all of that. So I think part of what's made, you know, crumbs left is that I am like this regular gal. It's like yeah. a regular size that's just being who I am, which is, you know, irreverent. And sometimes I, you know, I'd say the wrong words and, <laughs> or I make up words. Beautiful. Yeah. I
1: love that. That's perfect.
0: So I'll tell you, um, this morning, you know, before I came, I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, I kind of want to research a little bit. And so I looked up the book, and I'm an audible person. I mean, I love listening to books. I love especially when actors are doing them and there's like an ensemble cast. I put it on. I'm like literally 10 seconds into the story, and I say to my friend Lori Bell, oh, I'm getting that book. And she looks at me like, are you kidding me or are you crazy? And I was like, no. The minute I heard it, it was like this is the kind of book that I, you know, that I just – I loved the narration. Have you heard the narration at all of it?
1: I have. I actually listened to the audio book first before I even picked it up because I had auditioned and I thought there's no way I'm getting a serious regular role on HBO. I'm busy. I'm not going to read the book. I'm never going to see this thing again. And then suddenly I'm flying out to L.A. to audition with Catherine Hahn and I call my sister. I'm like, have you heard of this book? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I read it. I loved it like, so, great! Do you think I can read it in like forty eight hours? And she was like, "No, just get the audiobook." Right. So I picked it up, and the audiobook is narrated by a phenomenal cast of actors. E. Fletcher is read by Kira Coon, Chicago native, who I am such a fan of, true fangirl of hers. And so I listened to it, and it's it's done so well, so extremely well. And each chapter is a different character, so we have different oh, I love actors. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it does feel like you're listening to their world. You're listening to them narrate their own lives, which I think is such a... I, I haven't heard many audiobooks do it uh, quite as well as Mrs. Fletcher has done. Another one that I really like is Daisy Jones and the Six. It, it mm-hmm. really has like
0: Jennifer Beals in it. They have this ensemble cast. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so amazing because you really feel like you're having that theater experience, which is why I love books on tape because I love the idea of being taken out of my world and just going to another world, you know. And oh yeah. If I'm listening to about fifty or a hundred pages and I am not feeling like I really want to listen to this or I let's like I know this is gonna become happier at the end, mm-hmm. which isn't to say sad things don't happen, but it's still nice to just to be transported.
1: Oh, absolutely. I you know, so I grew up in a small town in the middle of nowhere and my aunt would always drive us on so many vacations everywhere. We drove everywhere and she always had so many audiobooks she had she was she's a nurse so we had like medical audiobooks that we listened to all the time and then all of these like romances that she would listen to in the car and i fell in love with it it was so wonderful it was pre-podcast and i loved being in the car and hearing this story that now i get mainly through podcasts and i love it so do you think
0: any of that led you and i mean that's such a leap but do you think any mm-hmm. of that influenced your your sort of love
1: of theater or you getting into theater I I bet it did. I'm sure it did. You know, I always try to figure out why I do what I do. And I have no idea. I it makes no sense. So I was truly a kid from Appalachia that just decided, oh, I think I want to try theater. And everyone in my family was like, what? We don't do that. We uh, play basketball. We're nurses. We do regular life things. This is so outside of the norm. But I was just kind of set on it since day one that that was going to be a thing that I do. Never won in fame, never won in any of that. Just, I want to do plays. It just made me so small in saying I want to do plays. And so how did you get
0: yourself there, and were you in New York, and how did you make that happen? Because you can have a dream, but yeah. it's like, and we always like this thread of how do we go from I'm passionate, I want to do this, to I'm making it happen.
1: Yeah, I think my first, like, step towards it was when I went to high school. So my parents are divorced and my dad lived in a much bigger town. He lived in Lexington, Kentucky, which is the biggest city I knew, and I knew that I could study theater in high school there, because in my hometown, you can't at all. No theater program, no real arts program to speak of, unfortunately. Great music program, but no theater, so I just emailed my dad one night late and just said, hey, can I live with you? I'd like to study theater, and he, of course, was like, absolutely, please, so I moved in with him, and Uh, Started doing theater in high school. So it's every move I've made since then has been for this crazy kind of dream. So I lived with him for high school. Then I went to college right outside of Cincinnati to study theater. Then I was working in arts administration at an opera company. And they had a bad year. So I was laid off because I was the lowest of the low. And I called my sister and I was crying. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. They're going to try to patch a career together for me, some sort of job. <clears throat> and she out of nowhere said, oh, just move to Chicago. Just try. And this is not typical of my sister. My sister is very practical. She's very frugal. This is not the kind of thing she would, suge- would suggest. So she said that to me and I just said, okay. And I moved. You took the leap of faith. I took the leap and I moved and I lived in a friend's living room for a few months Started nannying, nannied full-time in the city for about five years, worked with an amazing family still close with them. So I nannied during the day, I took improv classes at night, and even after that, then I'd do shows for an audience of about one person and did that for years and years and then was lucky enough to get an audition to work on a ship for Second City, did that, and then came back and had the opportunity to work for Boom Chicago, which is a theater in Amsterdam. So I worked there for three months in Amsterdam. Yeah, how amazing. It was wild. did you did you ride your bike? Oh, I rode my bike everywhere. everywhere. Yes, right. but I was so scared of it because the bike riding I mean, I rode my bike in Chicago loved it, but there's like five of us riding right. bikes in yeah. Chicago. and in Amsterdam, I was competing with like elderly women on their bikes that were way better than me, like cutting me off and then like women there was one day I saw a woman riding her bike wearing a baby on the front. She had a child in a seat in front of her, a child in the back, and she had her dog.
0: These are They're warrior women.
1: I do not understand how she did what she did. (laughs) They're warrior women. Oh, I was constantly being stopped like, oh, I can't handle the intensity of riding a bike in Amsterdam. The intensity of riding a bike in Amsterdam. They're going full force. You think you're going to die. I mean, you've never seen anything like it. No helmets. Yes. (laughs) And they are all just so confident and so gorgeous. Just like beautiful Dutch people sitting on their bikes, like of all ages. It's Unbelievable. I did not know what to do. And my bike was always falling apart. And I was like going so slow. 20-minute bike ride to work would often turn into like 40 because I would just be like, okay, (laughs) I need to, I got to take a break. I need to breathe.
0: Yeah, You might find walking is easier.
1: Yes, 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 yeah.
0: So where from Amsterdam did you head back to Chicago? Yeah,
1: I headed back to Chicago and toured for Second City for about two years. And then I did a stage for Second City, which means I helped write an original show. And I did that for a year. And while you're on that stage, as soon as you get the job, it's the dream job. Everyone goes, so what's next? I'm like, can I please have this job for a second and enjoy it and just live in this? Uh, So I was like, well, I don't what do I want to do next? And I missed theater, you know, improv and sketch is very much theater. But I missed plays. I missed that world. I missed the drama of it all. So I kinda of told myself in the back of my mind, the next thing I do, I want it to be a little bit more serious. I want it to have a little bit heavier of a tone. And I just kind of set that intention. And I've always loved Catherine Hahn. Catherine Hahn is my hero. And I think she's everyone's hero. Oh, absolutely as well she should yeah. be. Um, so I kinda of told myself that. And you know, your agent just sends you audition after audition after audition. And somehow this one came across, and somehow this one worked. Now, when you say you're an agent, are you living in Chicago at this point, or where are you living? I'm in Chicago. And, and
0: getting an agent, let me just say, mm-hmm. that is not easy. So how <laughs> did you make that happen?
1: So the first time I got an agent, I had booked um, an insurance commercial on my own. I, I that. Had, like that. found yeah. an audition, and I booked it, and I thought, okay, now that I have this— can I take this to agents and say, hi, I can get work. Will you please help me? Can we work together? And I did that and I got a lot of rejection, but one person said yes. So I was with them for a while. And then I went and I did the ship and I did Amsterdam and I came back and I decided it was time to move on to a different agency. So then I started shopping around again. And there was an agency in town that repped a ton of comedians, a ton of people I really respected. And I just looked at their roster and Loved everyone on it and, you know, hope that maybe I could find my place in there. So wrote a monologue, prepared it, went in there, auditioned, kind of was sweating a lot for a bit and then found out that they did want to work with me. So I worked with him for my entire time that I was in Chicago for like the last year and a half. And do you know, and
0: my daughter's an actor also, Mm -hmm. and she's always putting herself up for parts. I mean, she has a great agent, Daniel Hoff, who she absolutely loves, Mm -hmm. but she's also super scrappy. And there are a lot of jobs she gets just because she is, you know, putting herself up for stuff. And, you Mm know, I mean, it's a different day in that I think a person can
1: do that. Yeah. I mean, you have to. And I think everyone has a different like drive and need and, and push to do any job. And my manager, I'm very lucky to work with her. I love her so much. But she will kind of laugh at me at times because I'm like, I will do any job, give yeah. me any job, right. I do not care, any yeah. commercial, any I will be the spokesperson for any rash medication right. you have, like, <laughs> which I have done. Um, <laughs> Lucy was was like a, did something
0: for a female sexual dysfunction or something. She's like, I'm doing commercial, yes, it's a sexual dysfunction. I'm thinking you're 22, you know, I, yeah. Anyways, funny. Uh, work is work. Yeah,
1: right. I mean, the last thing I did before I booked Mrs. Fletcher was a 30 second mac and cheese, Twitter only commercial. And I thought I'd made it right. You know, because a job is a job and I've worked since I was 14. I love that hard work ethic. Yeah. What, what
0: is your astrological sign? Oh, Sag. Yours? I'm a Sag too. Yes. Totally.
1: There is that whole, you know, Sag vibe
0: thing. So yeah. yeah. So you're
1: just out there doing it. Oh yeah. I mean, you can't not like I'm in town right now for a little bit of work and I'm trying to like, maybe I should um sub and teach some improv classes while I'm here. Like, what can I do? Like, I don't like downtime, mm-hmm. and I'm more creative, and I can create more when I am moving a thousand different plates. Yes.
0: yes. Yeah. I, walking in here today, originally I had a different time schedule that was not the time you guys had. Uh-huh. So I arrived, uh-huh. and I'm like, "No one's here," and it's like I'm always at the last minute, you know. So there was that moment where it was like, you know, I'm doing 79 things because if I have downtime, you know, there's like messages to answer, there's something mm-hmm. to create, there's you know the next thing, so. I know that on the series and tell us again, it's called Mrs. Fletcher, because yes. I know some people are like, What's it
1: called? Yeah. <laughs> um what I know that you work with an intimacy coordinator. Yes. And what what does that mean? So uh intimacy coordinator is the same as a stunt coordinator, but for sex and nudity. And for years, decades. Wh- what's the show? Tell me a little bit more about what the
0: show is about. Oh yeah, absolutely. So is it just you having sex or what?
1: I am having <laughs> sex on the show okay. and I have warned my mother and grandmother several right. times, right. even right. though they say they still want to watch it. I yeah. don't understand. Yeah. Um, I, the show is about, uh, Mrs. Fletcher Eve and her son, Brendan. So he's going off to college and now she suddenly devoted her whole life to raising him as a single mother and he's gone. And what does that mean? So it's a dual coming of age story of Brendan going off to college and now Eve being alone and both of them, how they experience porn. Cause you know, he is a young man who was kind of raised with it in so many ways and, and he's raised with it because that's what happens to young people is is Exactly, so often,
0: you know, their first sexual experience is, you know, watching something on, you know, on porn. And, yes, and here's the thing, we, like, we just, you know, we maybe had a Playboy magazine, but I remember, you know... I remember my son at some age, you know, there was like something and, and all of a sudden some friend came over and they had like, you know, they had Googled like something like nude grannies or something. I don't know what (laughs) it was. maybe it was nude women, but it was like, nude grannies. And I was just like, oh my God. But I was just like, you know, honey, this is one thing to know what you're seeing here. That really isn't what sex is, you know, and the way that a woman looks here, that isn't really, you know, what a woman looks like. And sex is so much more than that. And, you know, have, having those conversations because now people's first experience mm-hmm. is so automated and it's, you know, it's just so different
1: than the reality. Exactly. And porn is a performance. It is performative art. Like it is not, it's just not realistic. So we have this young man who grew up thinking that's it. So he's having a lot of bad sex, but it sounds like porn. So right. he's, making, <laughs> he's making the noises and he's saying the things, but then you see it's just so bad. And then you have Eve, who's not experienced her own body for years because she's just kind of had her head down, working hard, raising the sun. And she has a night off. She looks up some porn, and that completely takes her on this journey. So I play her employee at the senior, citizen, or senior center where she works. And I am kind of a free spirit. I'm queer. I'm open. I've just moved back to my hometown after the sudden loss of a parent, And I'm here and I'm kind of up for anything. And I think Eve's character really kind of admires the openness of Amanda, the name of the character I play, and is really attracted to that openness that Amanda has. So they strike up this friendship that might go into something else and there might be some intimacy between the two of us. Who knows? Um, So I think that's that's where that is. But when we're shooting intimate scenes – Forever in the industry, it was kind of like you show up that day, you shake hands and say, okay, let's figure this out. Right. But we're dealing with bodies. We're dealing with real intimacy and real vulnerability. So during this kind of Me Too era, and then also an actress who was on The Deuce on HBO, she was feeling so uncomfortable shooting so many of these scenes and so much being asked of her with sets that weren't always closed, with all these people around her, that she demanded that a change happen. And so now HBO is the first network to require an intimacy coordinator on every show that includes nudity and sex, which is every show on HBO. So I was very lucky to work with a woman named Claire Warden, who is kind of at the forefront of this intimacy coordinator movement. Um, And she just comes in just the way stunt coordinator was, would do, and calls you up and says, "Great, this is what the scene is. This is what it's asking of you. Do you feel comfortable with that? You can back out at any moment if you are not comfortable. And I really felt like I had the power to say, no, this is too much. Right. And I think it since I knew I had that power, I allowed myself to even go further, right, because I knew I was completely protected. And she's really like your advocate in a hundred percent.. so she would make sure she had all of our nudity writers and made sure everything was being followed. As soon as we cut, there were people there to throw robes onto us. So we were immediately covered. She was in the room with us and she choreographed the whole thing. So we would, we rehearsed a particular scene quite a bit. And, you know, it would be like maybe the two of us holding each other and she would step in to even be like, okay, you think that looks very intimate, but it kind of looks aggressive. Mm -hmm. So what if we do it like this? So she wanted to make sure that everything was seen in this really female and powerful and really like sensual way Mm -hmm. and not through this more pornographic male gaze. Mm -hmm. She was very, very keen on making sure that we all would love and respect it. And I don't think that's done. Right. That's just not done. And she was so, so well versed in Mrs. Fletcher and what it was and making sure we were telling Eve's story and not to get caught up in anything else. It was amazing. And I think the thing is, people do, here's the reality, people do go through sexual awakenings all through their lives. A hundred
0: percent. You know, and, and it's always morphing and changing. And so, you know, relatable, just the Katherine Hans character who's the mm-hmm. kids go off. And, you know, you know, for me, you know, being in 40 or going through a divorce and mm-hmm. then sort of being a single woman again. And mm-hmm. But I think that what happens is, is that we just at all these different places, you know, have these awakenings, you know, and I'm in my fifties and I'm still, you know, having those and figuring those
1: out. Oh yeah, please. I hope I keep having them forever.
0: So how do you deal with rejection in the industry? I mean, you're a Sagittarian, so you're like, we're putting ourselves out there. We take I always say I take no as an absolute maybe. If someone says no to me, it's like, oh, it's not no. It's like, it's very, very possible.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. I think it's also like not in a pessimistic way, but the way it was raised is that the answer's probably going to be no, and you just need to keep moving. Right. So I assume every audition I go in, it's going to be a no. Keep my yeah. head down. Where's the next thing? Right. So then when I actually get it, I'm like, oh, oh, okay, I'll make time to do this thing. Like, I, I expect no in the most positive way possible. Right. I get it. I mm-hmm. totally hear what you're saying. Yeah, because I'm just like, I just have to keep going, keep going. And that's this industry is just going and moving and taking nothing personal and I think a lot of times some actors some comedians will hang their entire career on getting that one thing right if I could just book a show if I could just be in this play if I could just work for this theater then I'll be happy that's not true at all you have to figure out what your desire is what your point of view is why you should be even doing this work and hope that other people agree with you and if they don't agree with you then you shouldn't have been working with them to begin with And you gotta just move on to the next thing. So yeah, I never, I never take it personal. It's just okay. Well, your loss, and keep going to the next. I love it. And so you're
0: always looking for gigs. I mean, just like in every way, whatever.
1: Oh, I will do truly whatever. I just love working. I mean, while I'm in town, I'll probably nanny while I'm here because I miss that. I've nannied for so long. I love the families I worked with in Chicago. I've got the time. Why not? I just love working. Fantastic. Yes, yes. So who are your people? Um,
0: like, I have a circle of five, sort of like. Oh, okay. And, and Roy always says, uh, Terry has, whatever, six best friends, and uh, two of them are her telephones. <laughs> um, but I sort of have those people around me that are kind of my my circle. And, uh, you know, although it's like I, I, I've got a big world thing, I'm really a small world person. I like a little world. I'm, I'm really comfortable with, with my people. And I just wonder, like, who who are your people?
1: I am so lucky to have so many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, in so many circles, in so many different cities, but I would say my main people are one, your producer Jack mm-hmm. Felker, in mm-hmm. our group of girlfriends that uh, we are have a very active WhatsApp every day called She Beast, and we were an improv group here, and it was my home when everything else was kind of broken, when work wasn't working out, or when partners were being absolutely horrible. These women. Helped center me and they still do, even though we've lived overseas and come back, or we've traveled everywhere, we live in so many different cities, we still connect so easily and seamlessly. And I also last night I went to um, a concert of an old friend and saw so many college friends from Kentucky, and that's its own group that own, like, its own, like, language that you speak that only people speak from home, Mm -hmm. you know, and getting to have that. So I, I'm very lucky to feel like I get to be a small part of several tribes. And the more I'm in this industry and the older I get, the more introverted I become. Oh, I I, totally. Yeah. It's the more I put myself out there, the smaller I want to be. Yeah. And I do just want to sit around. I just got in town a few days ago and Jack came over to our friend Ryan's house and I just sat there and watched them and just we, I mean, we were all talking, but just, like, watching my friends laugh and tell stories is where I want to be. I just want to be in that room and invited into that space.
0: I love that. I feel that that is the same. I mean, I think what you're saying is so profound because I do feel as as my world gets bigger, you know, in a way I get smaller. Big you know, time. where it's just like I, I just like my, my, my world and my people and my kids, you know. Yeah. My sisters. What's important to you and what do you think is important to people, you know, people of your age?
1: Um... I think to people my age, generationally, I think there's this like big search for authenticity. Yeah, I like that. And Mm -hmm. I also feel this big shift. I was talking to my sister, who is by far my best friend, um, the other day. And Tracy and I were talking about how it feels like it's our generation in this time to kind of undo a lot of trauma. There's all this stuff that we've been raised with for generations that we've just accepted as this is how it works. This is how things go. And I think it's our time right now and to just untie all of that. It's a big knot and it's been in all of us. And it's time to go, oof, this isn't this doesn't sit right.
0: Right. So I see that
1: Yeah, I see that within the Me Too movement. I see that with so much work with Black Lives Matter. I see it it, you see it everywhere. You see it within the way we eat and the way we socialize. Right. And that's what I think it is. And I think it boils itself down to authenticity and like finding your true self and finding your true self means uncovering some ugly stuff. And so that's what matters to me. That's what matters to me in the work that I do and the art that I choose to create, what I choose to write and perform in and just conversationally. Right. How I talk to my friends, who I relate to and the kind of conversations I want to have you know, I I, I I imagine you're somewhere around the, my daughter's age or
0: mm-hmm. of the same generation. And I, you know, I think of, I mean, I think that's so profound and so true. And I wanted to ask you this question today. And it's like, that's so not like a question I asked, but like my, you know, my soul kept saying, ask this question, you uh-huh. know, and I thought, does it seem too impersonal to say that? <laughs> um, you know, like, what are people of your generation? But, you know, Lucy is always like schooling me on things. I mean, she will take me to task about, the way that I've said something or whatnot. You know, she, she's in her own disruptor in a very loving way. Yeah. But I really love that about her because she has me thinking about themes that I would not organically have thought of. Mm-hmm. She pushes me to place of, you know, uncomfortability on things that I, that I wouldn't necessarily naturally be talking about. You know, on mm-hmm. the page, I don't really get into politics because I feel like people, it's like everywhere we go, we're so bombarded. It's so nice to go somewhere where we're not going to be having those conversations, but human Absolutely. rights, of course, is another issue. You right. know, my my daughter is queer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's very gender fluid. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it's just like it's a it's a new day, and we're, we're thinking and languaging in a different way. And so I'm always like stopping to say, when I say that, how is that going to be viewed? And, exactly. and and what is my own sensitivity around, or my own lack of awareness, or my own consciousness or unconsciousness, mm-hmm. you know, about this? How you know, in terms of personal pronouns? I mean, I grew up in a day where it's she and he. Mm-hmm. It, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, now, do you feel like when you're meeting people, are you talking about your pronouns, or how is it for you in the world that people's pronouns are changing?
1: Uh, I, for me, the pronoun game is something that is delicate and also very simple. I find myself more and more defaulting to they when even describing people Right to get to a neutral because even if somebody prefers uh, she, her, or he, him, we already have connotations based on gender. So even when describing someone, if we can just say they, what kind of descriptors then does that force you to use? You're really looking at that person as opposed to their gender. And as far as like a meeting people... I have found myself asking more and more preferred pronouns um, or seeing if it comes up organically and trying honestly not to use them and challenge myself to do that. And the more I challenge myself to do that, I realize how unnecessary they are while also saying they are very necessary to some people. And I love that. And that is beautiful. And seeing people who've found gender confirming surgeries or clothing or appearances I want to honor whatever pronoun you feel comfortable with. I think that's beautiful. But I think for me, defaulting to that neutral is, I found, the most success. I I don't know. I found the best way to meet people, to describe people, to interact with who people actually are. Yeah, I think it's really, we're living in a very beautiful kind of crazy time. You know, I will always be fat and Appalachian. That's just who I am. And I think For years, even when I was younger, I wanted to be anything besides those things. And I tried to present any other part of my personality that wasn't those. But the personal is political. You bring it all in. So how do I approach this role as this character, but also bringing in this entire lifetime of being fat, of being Appalachian, of growing up poor? How does that influence every single decision I make? So don't deny that. And to keep walking in with that, I think is so important.
0: I love that. I love what you said, because I think we really have to bring the whole heart of who we are into what we do. And there can be that sort of denying of, and then there's just like, hey, this is who I am. I'm proud of it. Absolutely. Um, You know, all of these things made me who I am. So, well, I am, I'm excited for you. I mean, I'm so excited to see where you're going to go with this. I'm going to get the book today. I'm definitely going to watch the series. And are you excited to go like, okay, what what's going to come of this? Or are you just like, no, I'm putting my head down. I'm going to keep working.
1: I think it's the mix. I think, you know, where I grew up is definitely just keep your head down. Just keep your head down. Don't pay attention to it. But then there's that other part of me that is really hungry to work. And I'm trying to be proud of work that I have made. You know, I grew up in a place where pride's a sin, you know, just keep your head down. So I I'm trying to enjoy this time, and that's harder than anything I've ever had to do. So I'm excited for these next couple months, and also selfishly like, okay, is this another job? (laughs) You know, who will see me? Can I get more work out of this? Because that's all, at the end of the day, that's all I want to do. When does the show air? So the show airs Sunday nights at 1030, and it started on October 26th.
0: Well, we can't wait to see what's next for you. We're gonna join along in the fun, oh, and thank um, you. I'm excited to see the episodes. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. Where do people find you?
1: Oh yes, on Instagram at katie.newshoes. katie.newshoes. I love that. Yeah, that's and me. If
0: someone doesn't know. We will tag you, mm-hmm. um, you know, right there on the the podcast. Um, and we're, we're looking forward to seeing and supporting.
1: Yes. Thanks so much for sitting down with me. This has been a little dream come true.
0: And we're going to definitely send you a marinated onion. Ah, dirt, so thank I'll you so much. Address. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We're, we're so happy with the podcast. We would absolutely love it if you would subscribe and come find me over at No Crumbs Left on Instagram, Facebook, or the blog. Let's go.